Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is June 24th, 2022, and I'm happy to join you. I'm glad you're joining me. It's been quite a week. Um, Those of you who may not know this, the Supreme Court, I can't imagine you wouldn't. Uh, The Supreme Court just um, knocked out Roe versus Wade. I'm not going to get too far into that. It's out of my normal wheelhouse, and there's so many other issues but certainly it's an important decision, <clears throat> pardon me. But what I find most disturbing is the rhetoric coming out of the radical left. Uh, Maxine Waters added again, she was the one, if you remember, uh, back in the beginning of the Trump presidency, called for her followers to get in the faces of the administration, harass them, um, make them uncomfortable no matter where they go, scream, yell, on and on, basically inciting a riot. This time she said, the hell with the Supreme Court. You ain't seen nothing yet. We're going to defy the court. It's remarkable that the left, pardon me, has accused Trump of undermining our democracy. And meanwhile, you have a woman who has been in the House of Representatives for a long time, a very long time, a leader, so-called, um, saying the hell with the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is as important a branch as any of the other two. That's how the founding fathers constructed this great republic of ours. So for somebody in her position of supposed leadership to say the hell with the Supreme Court, you tell me who's undermining our democracy, this great republic of ours. The courts are not political. They're not supposed to be. The demonstration outside of the Supreme Court justices' houses, the threat against Justice Kavanaugh, this is insanity. And what saddens me the most is that we always used to believe that statement that I disagree with what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. That's what the First Amendment is about. We can agree to disagree. That doesn't make us enemies. I have many friends who I don't agree with on every issue. So what? Over time, some of my understanding of issues has evolved. We learn. We understand things differently. I remember uh, back when I was a federal agent, gun control was a non-issue for me. And why would it have been? I had a gun, actually a couple of firearms, legally owned. I had a badge. When I took my son to Disney World, he was four years old, over 30 years ago. Um, Legally, I got on board that airplane, my 357, which was what my duty carry was in those days. My 357 was on my hip. It was all entirely legal. We flew into Florida. I rented a car. Wherever I went, I had my 357. Not a big deal. I walked through Disney World. I had my fire off. So why would... You know, the Second Amendment really concerned me directly. I arrested people who violated gun laws, happy to get the guns out of the hands of criminals. We should all be happy to do that. Um, So, you know, different perspective. When I retired from the INS, I went down to Arizona. I've traveled all over this incredible country. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I found in my travels is that as Americans, we share so many more values than we don't share. And I'm still irritated that this uh, woman who just won that special election, Myra, in, in, Cal, in um, Texas, by the way, Cameron County is, is, is her area. This is where the old Border Patrol Academy was, and I attended that academy. Everybody who hired on went to the Border Patrol Academy. Everyone's making a big thing about she's a Latina. We've got to get away from the identity politics. If you're a Latino or a Caucasian, Jewish, Christian, black, white, purple, we all have the same dreams. We have the same concerns, the same aspirations. If we're going to talk about demographics, let's get away from the superficial nonsense about race, religion, ethnicity. 
people who are retired have different concerns from people who are coming out of college looking for that first job. People who have children may look at education differently from someone who has no children. And we go right down the list. People that live in cities have different concerns from people who live and work on farms. Those demographics are reasonable and rational. Divisive nonsense, and we hear it all the time, the Latino vote, the black folks were Americans. This is about the American vote, the American vote. And I've never seen it quite this bad. And I've never seen it quite this bad where when someone announces candidacy for any major political office, the first thing you hear about is how much money they've amassed. What does that mean? How much they've been bribed? So-and-so is a serious candidate. He has $3.7 million in his war chest. What does he stand for? God only knows, but he or she just wants to get elected. And we know they're serious because they got money. Why don't we talk about who gave them the money and what the expectation is in exchange for the money, because that money very often is a bribe. I wasn't allowed to accept a cup of coffee when I was on duty. But you have politicians bragging about how much fundraising they can do and from whom are they raising the funds with again what expectations so when I see this attitude of hostility one American against another um, it's it's corrosive and you know the old saying a house divided against itself cannot stand Uh, abortion isn't a simple issue uh, at least not for me I understand that women who have been raped, women whose lives are threatened by the pregnancy, need to be able to terminate the pregnancy. Um, But abortion certainly should not be seen as birth control. That's wrong. Late-term abortion, no. Uh, Unless the woman is dying on the operating table and they have to make that kind of choice with medical technology today, I can't imagine of too many instances where that's, in this day and age, you know, an issue. Certainly, if it is error on the side of the woman, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But the idea of late-term abortion, when the woman could, you know, give birth to this child, we're going to kill the child? No, in my view, it's murder. But again, we see things differently. A late-term abortion shouldn't even be a conversation, again, unless the woman is dying on the table and there's no alternative. I understand that. But that's a dire, rare circumstance. But the lunatic left is just out there ranting and raving, and no matter what the decisions are, their solution seems to be violence. And while we're told about what happened on January 6th, it's interesting that there's been no hearings about what happened during the summer after George Floyd. One cop made a really horrific decision. The other cops, from everything you could see, appeared to have you know, got drawn into it from that one cop. So we're going to hold an entire profession liable and guilty of one cop who did something that never should have happened. You know, a while back I I did a a little bit of analysis, and and I was horrified because when you look at medical malpractice, according to Johns Hopkins, and, and they're certainly an authoritative hospital and teaching center for doctors, Uh, Over 250,000 people died from medical malpractice, and I believe the year was 2018. 250,000. Another medical school came up with a number 440,000. I'm not reading from my notes. Those numbers are seared into my brain. That level of malfeasance and competence causing so much death and suffering. How many more people are crippled because of bad decisions? made by doctors who, by the way, when they made those decisions, their lives were not on the line. In the heat of battle, and it is a battle, a cop or a law enforcement officer, just like a soldier in combat, is facing imminent danger to his or her life and the life of his partners and other people around them. You react quickly. You don't have an hour to scratch your head and think about it. Um, You've got a second to shoot, don't shoot, take the action, don't take it. Everything's swirling around you, and in the fog of battle, you better make the right decision or else. Or else. And yet we're expecting police officers and federal agents, law enforcement officials, to be superhuman. superhuman. Never make a mistake, and if anybody from that profession screws up, we're going to hold 
all of those tens of thousands or perhaps hundreds of thousands of law enforcement professionals accountable. It's insanity. This is anarchy. And if the concern is really about life and saving lives, look what has happened since defunding police and since people have been let out of jail. So the idea is we're going to pass the law. That's what the Senate just did. And the idea is let's restrict how many guns are out there. So let's understand what we're really talking about. You cannot pass a law that makes guns disappear, okay? You cannot pass a law that makes gravity disappear either, because if you could, we wouldn't need rockets to soar into space. Congress could pass a law that suspends gravity at Cape Canaveral, and then rockets will just float into outer space. How cool would that be? You can't make laws that accomplish it. The politicians will try to convince you that they could pass a law like that. Because when you're a hammer, everything is a nail. When you're a politician, everything is about the legislation. But they play kabuki theater. Because they know that if they gave the average voter what the average voter really wants, the people that bribe them, uh, that is to say give them campaign contributions, they have a problem with the language sometimes. We'll stop writing the checks. So here's the quandary. Without the money, you can't fund a campaign. If you can't fund a campaign, you can't win elected office. But then again... You're still counting on the voters to vote for you. So what most politicians do is create an elaborate con job, magic act, to convince you that they're doing what you want them to do while they make damn sure that nothing they do upsets the people who write the fat checks that they need to run for office. It's a con game from square one. It's a con game from square one. And when all we hear about is how much money has been raised by the candidates, it just feeds in to the madness, doesn't it? So we're told we're going to get the guns off the streets. How about getting the criminals off the street that wield the guns? And now that the Supreme Court has come out with their decision that New York State's licensing requirement is far too restrictive because you have to show why you have a special need to carry a gun, so as a retired federal agent, not a problem, okay? I have a carry permit. But why do you need to have been a federal agent? That's not what's in the Constitution. So certainly the states have a right to regulate firearms. Um, submachine guns, not okay. Anti-aircraft cannons on your roof, not okay. I mean, it, it, to me it makes sense. I think it makes sense to most people, although there are some people who actually disagree with me on these points. And by the way, Let's have those conversations. Those debates are healthy. It's a celebration of the First Amendment. And as we're approaching the 4th of July, you know, we, we really ought to declare all those national holidays, days of national debate, Memorial Day, um, 4th of July, Veterans Day, because that's what this is about, freedom of speech. The right, as Frank Sinatra sings in that song, um, The House I Live in, also known as, as What is America to Me, the right to speak your mind out, that's America to me. We've become intimidated to speak our minds out. A vocal lunatic minority has taken control of this country. Think about the freak show that America is turning itself into, and for what purpose? Who's benefiting from this? Certainly not the average American. So the point of the matter is, if we're going to be rational, let's understand that average Americans, if they are law-abiding, they don't have criminal histories, they don't have mental health issues, should have the right to carry a firearm. Simple as that. And Governor Hochul got all upset and said, now we need to restrict where guns can be carried. They should not be in the subways. Now, just stop and think of what's happened to the New York City subway system. I haven't been in the subway system in many years. I have no desire to, to go there, by the way. It's become a, a, a real freak show with homelessness and violence and people getting beaten and shot and pushed into the subways. And the mayor of New York, Eric Adams, former New York City police captain, should know better, started to put cops out there on one-person uh, patrol, solo patrol. Now, I remember many years ago, back in the 80s, a New York City police officer by the name of Frank Sledge, his, his legal name was Cecil, never even knew it. I always knew him as Frank, was on patrol when they implemented solo patrols. And he was, I believe, on the first or second shift of solo patrols, encountered some thug. He was hooked into the mob, and there was a scuffle. The guy drives off and dragged Frank by his gun belt to his death. I went to his funeral. 
I was supposed to have gone to dinner with him that night. Instead, I went to his funeral. And the turnout was unbelievable. Why? Because it was a solo patrol and the Policeman Benevolent Association and everyone else told the city, told the mayor, told the commissioner, this is a really bad idea. You're going to get somebody killed. And my friend Frank Sledge got killed. Solo patrol. So here's Eric Adams saying, we have a shortage of cops. We're going to put them out there by themselves. And we've now had a cop injured. Not dead, but injured. Here we go again. Well, we're going to modify it. So now we're going to make sure that law-abiding people who carry firearms legally, if Hochul gets her way, will not be able to take a firearm on the subway. Really? Do you think the edict that you can't carry a gun on the subway is going to deter the criminals and the wackaloons from carrying guns on the subway? Of course not. Law-abiding citizens follow the law. That's what law-abiding means. Don't tell anybody I said so. You might upset some people. So law-abiding people will not go onto the subways with their guns if that becomes the law. But the criminals ignore the law and they get away with it. Now look at the, the insanity. The gun is only the instrument. The person wielding the gun really is what offers the threat, causes the threat. So we have cases in New York where thugs will go into a store, pull out a loaded gun, shove it in some guy's face, rob that person, get arrested, and within 24 hours they're back out on the street because they didn't kill the person. Really? Does that make sense? It used to be if you had an illegal firearm in New York, you were going to jail for two years, period. Full stop, no further conversation. You have a gun, you don't have a permit, you're under arrest, you're going to jail. That's how New York became the safest big city in America. Now, you have a gun, okay, you're under arrest. Did you kill anybody? Nope. Did you shoot anybody? Nope. Sorry, we bothered you. Can we drop you at your house? Really? So you have people who've been arrested multiple times for possessing firearms, and they're back out on the street. Now, their guns were taken away from them. How fun is that? But they are back out on the street. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Eventually they will kill somebody, and we've seen cases of that, where somebody with a lengthy rap sheet goes up to some law-abiding person and blows them away, cripples them, shoots them beats them, stabs them. Gee, how did this happen? Well, maybe if this guy who's sociopathic and has no respect for life was behind bars where he or she belongs because they're a threat, then they wouldn't have been able to carry out the crime. You would think. And we're seeing this across the country. Police officers being killed by individuals with rap sheets that are so long that if you took the rap sheet, you could wallpaper your living room. Bail reform. Criminal justice reform. Reform what? Carnage. We're telling the criminals crime pays. Don't worry. You get as many do-overs as you want. The problem is the people they kill don't get any do-overs, do they? So the solution is to get the guns off the street. Really? And no one talks about how law-abiding citizens who know how to handle a firearm might be in the position to neutralize a thug who's out there trying to kill or succeeding in killing people. But we won't talk about that. It's remarkable. It's truly remarkable. And how many people fall to the nonsense? We need new gun laws. Really? What's wrong with a law that says if you're caught with a firearm, you're going to jail for two years? I'll tell you what's wrong with it. It should be five years. I like that better. You pull a gun on someone, you rob them, You should be going to jail for five years. Full stop, no conversation. You're in jail. Have a nice day. That's what we should be doing. That would save lives. That would bring some of the violence to a screeching halt. But this revolving door where the criminal pulls a gun, robs somebody, assaults somebody, and is released and does it again and gets released and does it again, and eventually they kill somebody. And then everyone says, Why did they kill that person? Well, they had how many opportunities? Who's standing up for the victims? Nobody. Nobody. Certainly not anybody who thinks that we ought to be allowing violent thugs back out on the street, even when they're arrested with guns and even when they commit crazy crimes. It's insanity. It's truly insanity. 
And so finally, the Supreme Court said law-abiding citizens should have the right to defend themselves. What a novel thought. You could actually defend yourself. And look at what's happened over the years, the idea about school bullies. Look, I used to get the, the crap beat out of me. I never thought sports was a big deal. When I was growing up, my heroes were astronauts and test pilots. And I tended to be a little bit vocal. I always had a big mouth. And I was scrawny. And my friends thought that, or the kids I went to school, they weren't my friends, but they thought there was something wrong with me because I didn't care who was going to hit the 60th home run. Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, I'll never forget it. They're heroes, heroes. They hit a ball with a stick. Does it get more ridiculous? Okay. So they got a skill. So do the circus performers. I'm sorry. I'm not impressed. Alan Shepard, Gus Grissom actually responded to my letters and sent me letters. I have those letters. They're, you know, they're among my most valuable possessions. They were heroes. I had the privilege of meeting some of America's astronauts. They're heroes. They press, they pushed the human boundaries. They pushed that envelope, as they said, in the right stuff. Amazing. And I got to shake the hand of Jim Lovell, Dave Scott, Jim McDivitt. They all flew to the moon. I, I met one of our current astronauts. I met Gene Kranz, mission uh, flight director for Mercury, Gemini, Apollo, and the space shuttle program. These are amazing people. But as a kid, because kids can be stupid, just like adults can be stupid, stupid kids very often grow up to be stupid adults, I'd get the crap beat out of me. So my father insisted that I go to a gym, work out, learn how to box, learn how to defend myself, and I did. It was a life lesson. If you can't deal with schoolyard bullies, you're not ready to be an adult. I'm sorry. Now, anything we can do to deter schoolyard bullies, I'm all for it. I'm all in. Sign me up. But now we are in a wacky era where if you defend yourself, you're in trouble, whether it means you have a firearm and some guy robs you, you can defend yourself. Um, in, in schools, you know, what they've done is, is, you know, toxic masculinity. Men are the problem. How dare you defend yourself? How dare you demonstrate toxic masculinity? Uh, it's amazing. I really don't care what anyone's sexual orientation is, but I'm straight. I've always been into women, okay? I, I confess. Here's my cutlass confession. I've always been heterosexual. And now it's not a matter of everyone should be treated equally. Oh, no. There's something wrong with you if you have toxic masculinity. We've turned everything about our society on its ear, and we're wondering at what the result has been. You have movies that are increasingly violent. You have video games like Grand Theft Auto. I mean, the name of that game should speak volumes. So this becomes a simulator for thugs. Steal cars, run people down, and shoot the police officers. And they call that a game. Grand Prix racing, that's fine. Flight simulators, I've used them. I did a little single-engine flying as a kid. I still like to play around with the flight simulators. It's a fun way to spend an afternoon. But to go out there on a video game and mow people down and shoot them and kill them, and you desensitize children who are by themselves all too frequently, you desensitize them to violence, and then people are in shock that we have a violent society. We're releasing the criminals. We're confusing children about what their gender is, even when they're children, you know, six years old. Do you wonder why they're screwed up and they have them locked in because of COVID face masks so they couldn't learn the, the cues that we should get from facial expressions of other people because that's how you learn. Someone's frowning, someone's smiling, the interaction, the eye contact. Right? We need that to learn how to gauge our reaction with other people. You would think this makes sense. You would think. So we've turned society on its ear. And I, I looked this up one time. You should check it out. The removal of societal um, landmarks. What does that mean? It's like going into a neighborhood where they've moved everything around and you have no idea where anything is anymore. So you, you've taken away societal, I think it was, it was either landmarks or reference points, same idea. So now you can't go into a room and say, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, because you might be offending someone. Then we've got the Navy teaching warriors about safe spaces. In war, there's no safe space, maybe a foxhole, right? Uh, I mean, think what we're doing. We are dismantling our country at the behest of a lunatic fringe that's gained control over our government and media. And you have kids who grew up never knowing that you could lose in sports. Remember, they, they used to show the war, what was it, the 
I think it was ABC News, perhaps, the wide world of sports, the, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. And you see some guy doing a ski jump, flying off into the weeds, cartwheeling and terribly injured, the agony of defeat. So you learn as a child. You either win or you lose. So we had this whole thing of, well, no one's really losing. So you have pampered children growing up never knowing what it is to lose, never knowing the word no, never hearing you screwed up today. Learn from your mistakes. What mistakes? I got a certificate of participation. So now when the court rules in a way that they don't like, or their boss tells them to do something they don't like, or the system tells them what they can and can't do, they go bananas. Why? Because no one's ever done this to them. They've been conditioned since day one that no matter what happens, they never lose. They never have consequences for their failures. Boy, whoever came up with that idea really knew how to undermine everything. Oh, we don't want people to feel badly about themselves. You know what? I hate losing. Now I've taught my kids. I have no tolerance for sore losers. So the solution is to do everything you can to not lose. And that doesn't mean cheat, by the way, because we go back to that other famous saying, it's not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. Tell that to the politicians. Not, matter, not a matter of whether you win or lose, but how you play the game. No, for them, winning isn't only the most important thing. It's the only thing, and they will do anything and everything possible to win. And with no moral compass, and you have kids fired up who have no clue as to what, how the real world, world operates, broken families, people with mental health issues, people who are on drugs. We've never had more children involved with drugs. So it's amazing. The FDA said we can't have vaping. That's dangerous, and they've done a good job with the cigarette smoke. What about fentanyl? What about heroin? I spoke about it last week. I wrote an article on the front page about it, how sanctuary cities are now providing sanctuary for illegal drugs. I would love to know, whenever there's a violent crime, what the toxicology report looks like for the shooter. Isn't that a fair question? If a bus crashes into the side of a building and kills six people and maims three others, the first thing you hear about is, well, was, was the driver drunk? Did he have, you know, um, chemicals flowing through his body? I don't like to use the word drugs because it implies that this is a normal thing like aspirin. No, aspirin doesn't cause you to do that, right? So that's normal. Plane crashes, they want toxicology from the flight crew. Some guy goes out and does a shooting. When was the last time you saw a toxicology report? When was the last time you heard about the immigration status of the shooters or the violent gangs? And we're always told the big lies. And what's the big lies? The immigrants commit fewer crimes than American citizens. Well, that might be true. I was assigned to DEA Unified Intelligence here in New York back around 1988 to about 1992, and then I was promoted to senior special agent that assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. I was the first INS agent assigned to DEA Intelligence. And I was there to help them with their narcotics investigations. But I decided that maybe they could do something for me. So I asked them to give me a copy of all of the arrest records from New York and nationally because I wanted to see who we were arresting. Now, in 1988 or 1989, when I made the request, there were no spreadsheets. We didn't have computers. We had paper. And I remember making the request from my bosses, and I said, can you get me the arrest records? And they said, sure. And a week later, still hadn't gotten them. And I didn't want to say anything, you know. I have had a working relationship that was second to none with the folks up at DEA. It was, it was an amazing experience. In fact, they wanted me to leave immigration and go work for them. Um, I, I couldn't do it. I was a single parent at the time. My son was about three and a half years old. But I loved working with DEA. They were phenomenal. And so about... Two weeks after I made the request, I come to work and I can't find my desk because my desk had boxes piled to the ceiling. There were boxes around my desk, under my desk, and on my chair. And as I was standing there looking at this, there were two clerks from the file room with hand trucks bringing in more boxes of arrest records. So I'm standing there, if you could picture the scene, with a handheld calculator trying to calculate who we were arresting. And as I'm doing this, more boxes are being delivered. I felt like I was in the middle of a flood of paper. 
You know the old saying, be careful what you wish for, you may get it. Well, I got it. And what I found shocked me, because in New York City, and this was in the late 80s, 60%, 60% of the people we were arresting at the DEA task force for major narcotics crimes, we weren't arresting people with a joint in their back pocket, okay? We were arresting people with hundreds of pounds of drugs, maybe more. We're talking serious weight. 60% of the people we were arresting were identified as foreign-born in New York, 30% nationally, and I assure you, we don't have 30% of the population illegally present in the United States who are foreign-born in the United States. You know, so understand, disproportionate. It's been estimated that illegal aliens are 10 times more likely to commit a crime than are American citizens or lawful immigrants. Lawful immigrants do not want to commit crimes because they lose their green cards, or at least they used to. Not with Biden, I'm sure. You could do anything and everything as long as you're not an American. If you're a white male in America, look out because they're looking to label you, it seems, as a domestic terrorist, especially if you attend school board meetings. That seems to be the takeaway. All the talk about what happened on Capitol Hill on January 6th, I'd like to know what the investigation looks like for what happened at the White House and the burning of the church. I'd like to know what happened to the police officer who killed Ashley Babbitt on January 6th. That, that woman who was an Air Force veteran who shot in the neck had no firearm. She had no weapon. And they gave the cop a pass. I, I mean, this is upside down, inside out, and twisted. That's what we're confronting. So when, when, you, when you have people in positions of authority refusing to condemn people who are demonstrating outside of Supreme Court justices' homes, which is in violation of law, I worry because that's how you lose democracy. The rules are not for them. It doesn't work that way. You know, as Alan Dershowitz says, you know, for them, it's the, the laws apply to thee and not for me. No, it doesn't work that way. Everyone is supposed to be held to the same standard. In fact, leaders should be held to a higher standard. If I sound angry and upset, I am. I am. Because it seems as though any time there's now a decision about anything, the first question is, are we going to see violence? And the violence predominantly comes from the radical left. Now, are there right-wing nuts? Absolutely. And anybody, let me be clear, anybody who thinks that violence is a solution for any grievance is dangerous and needs to be taken off the streets. We don't resolve anything with violence. There are third world countries around the world where every time there's an election there's bloodshed and they go around with the wagons and pick up the dead bodies. It happens in Jamaica. It happens all over the world in the third world. Every time there's an election there's violence. America has always been known for a peaceful transference of power. And when you had Maxine Waters railing about get in their faces, um, and when, when, when the president himself said that this is a First Amendment right to be able to demonstrate outside a Supreme Court justice's house, that's not true. Because that was an act of intimidation against the justices. We all need to be playing by the same rules. When the Yankees play the Mets, the one team doesn't get more outs than the other team. Let's be clear. And that's the way it's supposed to work. And then they said, well, Ruth sent us, meaning Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ruth Bader Ginsburg fought mightily for equality, not equity. Minor inconvenience for them. Don't, you know, don't distract me with the facts. It's crazy. It's lunacy. And every time I look at what this administration does, I find more evidence of more lunacy. And that was the predication for my most recent article. And I hope after the program, you will all, if you haven't already, go to Front Page Magazine, and I want you to read my latest article. It was published on uh, Tuesday, June 21st. The title of my article, it's going to be startling for you, I promise you, Providing Former Taliban Associates with Visas and Asylum, the Biden Administration Continues Its Assault on U.S national security. Now, I've written many articles about Alejandro Mayorkas, the head of DHS. I said that under him, DHS could now be called the Department of Homeland Surrender. Most recently, I said that under him, we could call it the Department of Hospitality Services, 
and that instead of being America's guardian as the head of DHS, he's now become America's innkeeper because his goal is to get as many illegal aliens as possible to flow into the United States so they can put them up in housing, and the government is paying hundreds of millions of dollars for the housing. I worry about kickbacks. I worry about where the money actually goes. And, in fact, the Office of Inspector General issued a scathing report about how the company in question, and this was a couple of weeks ago, uh, again, Front Page Magazine, how they were given a no-bid, no-competition contract for over $500 million without a competitor. And they've never done this kind of work before. They used to be in the business of taking care of veterans. Very different situation. And, in fact, the inspector general said that $17 million was given to this company for hotel rooms that were never used. How did that happen? And Judicial Watch did a little bit of digging because their report was predicated on that inspector general report, and they found that an individual who had worked for the Biden administration at Homeland Security as part of the transition team transitioned from the Biden administration to that very same company that got the no-bid contract. And it was right after that that they were awarded over $500 million. You know, we have a saying in law enforcement that when you see a coincidence, keep digging because you're probably onto something. I think we're onto something. And so if you bring more people into the country, they're going to need to provide more services, more housing, more contracts for these NGOs, non-governmental organizations, also referred to jokingly as nonprofits. Really? I don't think that they're really nonprofits. I mean, legally, I guess they qualify, but tell that to their executives. I'd like to know what they earn. And if you look at the way this, this melding, this intertwining, this revolving door between the NGOs and government, your head will, will spin faster than the revolving doors. In fact, I've often said that revolving doors is what's wrong with our government. But if you could hook generators onto the revolving doors, we could have all the clean energy we could possibly want. You have the people on Capitol Hill who go work for the lobbyists at K Street. You have the people in the government who go work for the NGOs. And so it goes. Round and round it spins. So now... You have Alejandro Mayorkas, the guy who, when he was the head of Citizenship and Immigration Services, which never gets much attention, by the way, and there's a reason. TV is a visual medium. So when people run the border, there's a striking image. You can see the people running the border. When agents in raid gear smash through doors to make arrests, and I've made lots of arrests that way, That's a visual. That's great for TV. But some examiner and adjudications officer sitting at the desk with an approval stamp, who wants to watch that? That's boring. So today, for example, someone asked me, he said, Mike, and a good friend of mine out in Indiana, he says, you know, I was having an argument with a couple of my buddies. Now, it's interesting. We're told about the work Americans won't do. This guy's a plumber, same as my dad. Five-year apprenticeship to be a plumber, same as my dad. Their work is filthy, back-breaking, dangerous, right? They work under extreme heat, extreme cold, doesn't matter. It's a day's pay, and they're happy to get that check so they can support themselves and their families. What do you mean the work Americans won't do? So he said that his friends were concerned, and they said Biden, that Joe Biden is making more arrests, fewer arrests. They said arrests are a bad metric. First of all, George W. Bush, who was a disaster, the way he created DHS violated the enabling legislation, the Homeland Security Act. Immigration was never supposed to be cut down the middle between Customs and Border Protection, CBP, and ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, because that creates a whole set of nightmares, third agency rules. I could go into this for hours, but I won't bore you with the details. Suffice it to say, it was designed to fail. And then what Bush did was fold in other agencies that had nothing to do with immigration. So money laundering, intellectual property theft, all kinds of law. Kitty porn. Now, look, anybody who's involved with kitty porn should be in jail forever. And, and if you want to neuter them, have at it. I could care less. Anybody who could hurt children. 
although now we're teaching children about sexuality in kindergarten, apparently, while we arrest kiddie porn purveyors. I don't know. It leaves me scratching my head. Perhaps it leaves you scratching your head as well. Sexualizing children. Really? This is in their best interest, you think? I don't. They're supposed to be innocent at that age, right? It's remarkable. I don't know if I ever told you this joke. I hope it's a joke. I hope you'll find it sort of humorous. This little boy is in second grade, and he comes home and he asks his parents what sex is. And the parents get all upset because they don't know how to explain it to him at a level that is commensurate with, with, with a kid that's, you know, six years old. So they get into this whole big conversation about the birds and the bees and flowers and babies. And, and the kid looks at the parents and he says, how in the world can I put all that information in this little box on this form that I have that says sex? You see, because kids that age, this shouldn't be an issue for them. But the lunatic that, that's running our educational system wants this to be an issue for them. Maybe they're recruiting. I have no idea what they're doing. So the, the idea is you have immigration agents who should be enforcing immigration laws involved with kiddie porn. How many people can work on that? Postal inspectors, FBI, city police, state police, the list goes up. Immigration is a unique area of law, and it's critical. But what they did is to give so many missions to immigration enforcement agents that there's no time for them to actually do immigration law enforcement. This was done by design by Bush. And in fact, John Hostetler, the Republican chairman of the House Immigration uh, subcommittee back around 2005, in the mid-2000s, I did a bunch of hearings for John. He said that what the Bush administration gave us was immigration incoherence, making it impossible to secure the borders, enforce the laws, or protect the American people. Both parties have done this to us. Let's be real clear about it. Well, when Mayorkas was working for Obama, he was running Citizenship and Immigration Services. I call them America's locksmith because they give out, they, they adjudicate all the applications for green cards, citizenship, political asylum, changes in immigration status, and so forth. And he demanded that his people approve just about every visa application that landed on their desk. He said, get to yes. And when people refused to follow his illegal orders, he demoted them, moved them around, took it out on them in ways you can't begin to imagine even when he was told by the FBI that visas that they were adjudicating belonged to an organization that had a link to Iranian terrorism. I don't care. We're approving it. And he got away with it. And then he became the deputy director of DHS. And during confirmation hearings for the Biden administration, to their credit, the Republicans pointed out the malfeasance that the Office of Inspector General uncovered in dealing with Mayorkas. And the Democrats said, we don't care. Now, understand the 9-11 Commission, to which I provided testimony, identified immigration fraud as the key method of entry and embedding for terrorists. And, in fact, and I want you to hear this because this is so important, because I wonder how they got to the politicians. You know, I testified for Sheila Jackson Lee, not once but twice. The Republicans and the Democrats after 9-11 called on me for many hearings because the concern was how do we prevent the next attack? I was honored and humbled by their request to show up for these hearings to provide my perspective because I've investigated and arrested terrorists in my career. So if you remember, there was a bombing at the, at the um, World Trade Center on February 26, 1993. A month earlier, there was a shooting at the CIA by a Pakistani by the name of Kansi who bought into a courier van service, applied for political asylum, the courier van that he was part of, that service, had a permit that enabled him to drive into the parking lot of the CIA. And in January 93, he pulled into the parking lot, not with packages, but with an AK-47. He opened fire and killed two CIA officers, wounded three others, and fled the country. He was ultimately brought back, put on trial, found guilty, and executed, but it didn't bring back the dead. It didn't heal the wounds of those that he injured. And a month later, we have the bombing at the Trade Center. Those two attacks were the predication for my very first congressional testimony, and that was on May 20th, 97, four and a half years before 9-11. And it's focused on immigration fraud and visa fraud because everyone knew the little dirty secret. With all the concerns about the Mexican border, nobody is looking at immigration fraud. Understand what that means. 
Without interior enforcement, you cannot control the border. We've never really had meaningful interior enforcement because immigration agents would not only wind up arresting illegal aliens, but crooked lawyers and crooked employers. And we would dismantle human trafficking groups, which right now is actually a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, foreign students, foreign tourists, and for the immigration lawyers on both sides of the aisle, clients for immigration law firms. And yes, now with Biden, an unlimited supply of clients for NGOs, these nonprofits that find housing for them. Everyone's feeding at the trough while they undermine national security and public safety, and I would argue that they're doing it irrevocably. It will take decades, if ever, for us to straighten out this disaster because we have been flooded with millions of people whose identities, backgrounds, and potential affiliation with criminal or terrorist organizations are unknown and unknowable. And you have a bunch of Republicans as well as Democrats who say, well, great, let's solve the problem by giving all these aliens lawful status. So we have a system that can't do anything, and we're going to use that broken system to confer lawful status upon aliens whose identities can't be verified. Could you imagine anything dumber or more dangerous? I, I, I want you to understand this. Here is the paragraph that you need to hear, and I've read it before, and I'm going to keep on reading it because it's important to remind you. On page 98 of an official report, 9-11 and terrorist travel, this was published by the Government Printing Office, the staff report was written by the 9-11 Commission staff of federal agents and government lawyers. And page 98 has this little paragraph. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans are to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, and that's what DACA is, folks, okay, temporary worker status, or applying for asylum. All those aliens that are coming into the country are applying for asylum, and they don't have a snowball's chance in hell in most cases to actually qualify for asylum. The fact that they're looking for a job because they live in poverty or they live in a crime-ridden country does not qualify you for asylum. Asylum means that because of your race, religion, ethnicity, political orientation, or sexual orientation, you face persecution or worse in your home country. It will be interesting to see how the Supreme Court decides to remain in Mexico policy implemented by the Trump administration. We should know on Monday. Okay? When we hear asylum... We get mushy, and I do. My family was decimated in the Holocaust. But when people came to the United States as refugees, many of them had spent years in resettlement camps in Europe so that they could be screened. And even then we wound up with a bunch of Nazi war criminals. The Nazi war criminals didn't pose an immediate threat to our safety. They were trying to avoid the long arm of the law and justice, but nevertheless. So they warn us here that they're by, by achieving temporary worker status or applying for asylum after entering. And it goes on and says, in many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, <clears throat> make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. This is 9-11 Commission staff report. But this administration does not talk about foreign nationals coming to America to carry out terror attacks. They talk about radical Americans being the threat, totally blind to the potential that people from countries that sponsor terrorism or organizations that want to see the destruction of our country could come here to hurt and kill us. So... I mentioned the bombing of the Trade Center in 93. <clears throat> on February 24th, 1998, two days short of the anniversary, the fifth anniversary of the bombing of the World Trade Center, Diane Feinstein, remember Diane, she's around forever. Um, she's on the Judiciary Committee, and they do a hearing about terrorists operating in the United States. And she said, maybe we should do away with the visa waiver program. Maybe. I've been screaming about this forever. Thank you, Ronald Reagan. She also said maybe we shouldn't be giving visas to aliens to come from countries that sponsor terrorism. Of course, now things have gotten complicated because since 1998, many people from those countries who are affiliated with terrorism have moved to European countries and other countries around the world. They've had children. 
And so they are now eligible to enter the United States under the visa waiver program that they have Feinstein questioned. And she finally talked about the need to not provide aliens from those countries that sponsor terrorism with high-tech educations because we're teaching terrorists how to kill us. And just to read one or two here, and then I want to read what the Washington, uh, I'm sorry, the L.A. Uh, Times had to say. It, it's absolutely remarkable. Um, bear with me one second. I apologize. So she says this. The Washington Post reported on October 31st, 1991, that U.N. weapons inspectors in Iraq discovered documents detailing on Iraqi government strategy to send students to the United States and other countries specifically to study nuclear-related subjects to develop their own program. Samir al-Araji was one of the students who received his doctorate in nuclear engineering from Michigan State University and then returned to Iraq to head up its nuclear weapons program. Think about that. Um, Talking about others of these individuals. Uh, Talked about Dr. Germ, so-called. Um, yeah, so here, here's another one. For instance, Nadal Ayad, one of the defendants in this case, meaning the World Trade Center bombing, used his position as a chemical engineer for Allied Signal to obtain the chemicals used in the World Trade Center bombing. And talked about other terrorists and did the same thing. Also spoke about um, a woman that they called Dr. Germ who got her doctorate in biology so she could figure out how to use biological warfare against us. What in the world are we doing? And, and so she goes on and, and warns not only about the visa waiver program, but stated, and this is really what, what blew my mind, she said, um, here we are. The defendants of the World Trade Center bombing are also an example of those coming in or through non-immigrant or employment-based visas or abusing our political asylum process and then committing crimes. So here's Diane Feinstein saying we're giving people political asylum and they're just using it as a way to come here so they can kill us. Okay? Now, if you look at my article, and I hope that everyone will read the article, and what I want you to do is be part of my bucket brigade of truth and forward the link to my article to everybody you know. Everybody you know. And ask them to do the same. Let's have an honest-to-God American conversation. I don't care if you're with the hopping kangaroo party. And my article started out by saying that on June 14, 2022, the Los Angeles Times reported that some Afghan refugees now have a chance to avoid terrorism designation that blocked their path to the United States. And here is how the report begins. Doctors, teachers, engineers, and other Afghans who were forced to associate with the Taliban, who's going to determine whether they were really forced or were willing? We heard that nonsense from the Nazi war criminals who came to America. I'm not really a Nazi. Uh, I, I just work with them. Yeah, sure thing. Okay? So doctors, teachers, engineers, and other Afghans who were forced to associate with the Taliban will now have a chance at asylum or visas after the Biden administration loosened a terrorism-related designation on Tuesday, according to government officials and documents reviewed by the Los Angeles Times. This exemption will be applied on a case-by-case basis after security vetting and is expected to help Afghans who fled their country after the U.S. troops withdrew and the Taliban took over last August, as well as some Afghans who entered the United States early, said officials from the Department of Homeland Security. That, by the way, folks, I will remind you, is headed up by Get to Yes Alejandro Mayorkas. The fact that they're doctors and teachers and so forth, I made the point that Osama bin Laden had a degree in mechanical engineering, which helped him carry out the attacks. Now, I don't know how many of you remember a terrorist organization known as the PFLP. You may remember the PLO and Yasser Arafat, the Palestine Liberation Organization. There was a similar outfit that was even more violent, the the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, PFLP. It was founded by George Habash. George Habash... Guess what his profession was? Not only was he a doctor, he was a pediatrician. He cared for little babies. Does it get mushier than that? He was the guy who ordered the deaths of many people, violent crimes, bombings, kidnappings, hijackings, you name it, this pediatrician was behind it. And so now the Biden administration, even as Iran is racing towards nuclear weapons, is going to make it easier for terrorists 
to be granted lawful status in the United States as they ramp up scrutiny of American extremists. Let that all sink in. We're going to disarm Americans who will not be able to protect themselves. Criminals are still being turned loose even when they commit crimes involving firearms. And we're going to open the door to how many terrorists now? And what was interesting was just back in February, Fox News ran a report about how 50 people from Afghanistan who were granted asylum weren't properly vetted, and they've disappeared somewhere into America. Shouldn't be that hard to find 50 people. They're somewhere between the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans and the Canadian and Mexican borders. Heck, we, we could probably find them in never. This is insane. This is insane. And the media is not reporting on it. And I want you to remember how few terrorists can do so much damage. 19 hijackers carried out the attacks of 9-11. They killed more people than we lost to the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. Think about the couple in San Bernardino, California, who machine gunned their neighbors and colleagues. Right? And the police department was supposed to give up their own personnel carrier the day after the attack. Thankfully, they had that vehicle, and it was instrumental in taking these two thugs out. Two brothers, the Sarnayev brothers, carried out the Boston Marathon bombing. This is asymmetrical warfare. So people are worrying about how many people are being arrested. and How many do you need to have in the country before we have a disaster? How many? 10, 20, 30, 50? We have millions of people here. We're clueless as to who they are. If only a, a tenth of 1% are bad guys and you're dealing with millions of people, how many terrorists are we looking at, folks? And we've had hearings about how Hezbollah is working with human traffickers throughout Latin America to flood narcotics into the United States, to destroy our society, to fund terrorism around the world, and to move people into our country, including sleeper agents. And what is Joe Biden doing about that? telling them that they, that they will leave the light on for you. I want someone to explain how this is in the best interest of America or Americans. Very simple question. I want someone to explain how any politician, Republican or Democrat, could be an advocate for a massive amnesty program that would give millions of people lawful status without the capacity to interview them, let alone do a field investigation. And then they could bring all their kids here because that's the law. And I agree with that law. If you move to a country, I would expect you're going to come with your nuclear family, mama bear, papa bear, and all the baby bears. So if on average each alien who gets legal status has four children and we legalize 25 million, you're looking at an influx of 100 million. How is that sustainable? There's a water shortage that's getting worse in the West. It's estimated that each person needs at least 100 gallons of water per day for sanitary purposes, you know, washing your hands, flushing the toilet, taking a shower, and drinking and making food part of your recipe. You know, you, you make spaghetti or whatever, you, you use water. So every person needs about 100 gallons of water per day. You bring in a million people, that's 100 million gallons of water per day. And somehow this is acceptable, and no one is challenging anything. We have got to develop a spine, folks, as Americans. We are our neighbor's keeper. As Americans, we should be united to look to do what's in the best interest of every American, irrespective of superficial factors. Race, religion, ethnicity doesn't matter. We are the most ethnically diverse country on the planet. This isn't about racism. It's about survival. That's the bottom line. It's not anti-immigrants who insist that we know who's letting in and we don't let so many in that we overwhelm our economy, our environment, and everything else. It impacts education. It impacts everything. Please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. I hope my articles, I hope this podcast is helpful. And if you believe it is, forward the link to the podcast, post it on social media, along with the links to my articles, because I really believe that the facts are irrefutable, and as John Adams said, facts are stubborn things. Have a great weekend. I look forward to seeing you again next week right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Bye. Bye. Bye.